Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our final episode of the decade. I hope you are excited about the next couple of weeks spending time with friends and family, and I hope you're also excited about this new year and new decade. In some ways, this is a new year just like any other, but these decade changes can be great times for us to take a look back into the past and think about where we're coming from, while also taking a look into the future and saying, where do I want to go? How do my expectations compare with reality. And so as you're thinking over the last decade, as you're reflecting, I also encourage you to think about what you want to happen in this upcoming decade, because we can't change the past, but we can affect our future. Now, I'm really excited about this episode today because I think it is a great one to end the year on. There are tons of things that you can take away from this episode. It's both poetic and practical, and I think that you are really going to enjoy it. Now, Our guest today has been the architect for growth for teams and individuals in the arenas of executive communication, inspirational language, and practical skills ranging from sales mentality to thought processes. His focus is the power of language. He's either traveling the world speaking about deeper dialogue, moving conversations forward, or mindful leadership, or he's coaching executives, writing, and podcasting. And he recently came out with his newest audiobook, Deeper Dialogues, Conversations That Inspire. Here is Coach John Klimshin. John, welcome to the podcast today. Josh, it's a thrill. Thanks for inviting me on. So we're going to start off with a few questions to help us to get to know you and give us a little bit of leadership inspiration up front. So you ready for this? Uh, I'll do the best I can, man. I've already had a cup of coffee. We'll see how we do. Perfect. What is some lesson saying or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? The people that report to you are your precious inventory. Treat them well by investing in them, asking them great questions, and listening to what they have to say. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is humble, constructively ruthless, open. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? How can I draw things out of my people that they are not even aware are in there? What book would you recommend to leaders? Anyone that wants to understand uh, the the development and, and ongoing inspiration of teams would, of course, I would ask that they look at one of mine. However, one book recently that has influenced me a great deal and that I have shared with my clients is called Execution, The Discipline of Getting Things Done. Tease it out for us real quick, though, if you would, John. What is the book that you would recommend from your own repertoire if you could just recommend one to our listeners? The Ultimate Sales Manager's Guide. And I would ask that people not be put off if they are not in a, if they don't lead a sales team. This book 
I believe, only because people who have read it and put it into practice have told me, I think that the, the ideas, the concepts, the techniques, and the overall framework are applicable to a variety of environments, not the least of which was a $350 million a year chemical company in Dallas, Texas. They brought me in to speak to their IT managers. Uh, These folks are about as far away from a sales environment as you can imagine. And we went through an exercise talking about their vision, their language, their objective evaluation of their folks, and how they can achieve the three things that I think are critical to leaders. Number one, to hit their number. Whether you're in sales or not, if you're a leader, you're measured in some way, shape, or form by a measure, some sort of performance, some KPI. So the first Coach K rule of the three things for effective leadership is hit your number. People say, well, I want to blow my number out. How about you hit it first? (laughs) Second is low churn. You do not want high churn on your team. You do not want high churn of your customers. You do not want high churn of your vendors. When you can keep churn low, you're saving the company, your employer, a whole bunch of time and money because you do not have to restart, re-ramp up people or offer training multiple times in the same year. When you have low churn, now you're starting to build a culture. So the first was hit your number. Second is low churn. And third, no drama. Well, thanks for that, Excursus. We're going to get back to more of your books later on, but let's go ahead and get back to these questions now. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? I ask every leader to make it a priority to, to learn and to understand what their people want. The challenge is you don't get to ask them outright. You don't get to sit with one of your folks and say, so what do you really want? It's going to be out of context. It is going to make their mind shut off. This is critical knowledge and insight for a leader to know what it is that the people who report directly to them want. Because if you can point them to it, help them toward it, help them achieve, obtain, or experience what it is that they want, then there's an emotional connection between the two of you that is not about friendship. It's about a professional development opportunity. Leaders are always in the business of developing their people. And once you understand what it is that your folks want, then you can point them in directions where they will probably respond more positively. I think that one of the keys to leadership is listening. The other is offering insight when your person is ready for it. We, we jump to teaching moments, and not every moment is a teaching moment. Sometimes the moments are just, that's really interesting. I'm glad we got to talk about that. So when you understand what it is that your people want, then you have a deeper understanding of who they are. And this means that walking down to the, to the lunchroom and asking someone, so what'd you do this weekend? This means looking at, at, at their workspace and getting a sense of what do they put in front of them that is personal. You know, uh, people put pictures of their family, their animals, their their hopes, their wishes, their dreams. Their, you know, some people put a picture of, of their next vacation spot. Um, how organized are they? What are, what are the priorities that are in their workspace? How do they interact with people? And what is that person's personal brand within the organization? We, we don't want to gossip and we don't want to ask, so what do you think of so-and-so? We want to get a sense of how the our folks are perceived. And that means that we need to feed them something every day as leaders. 
And what we need to feed our people is hope. Because in, in my view, you mentioned earlier that I'm such a fanatic for language and, and it's the truth. In my view, every leadership conversation is about the future. And now, John, we have our final arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? I think it's better to ask why not, because this, uh, this gives us the mental space to look for the second and third right answer. I'm a big believer in when, when I ask a question, I don't want people coming up with what they think I'm looking for. I want them to be creative and come up with as many right answers as possible. And if we can take an idea and, and try to blow holes in it, then we are going to find out whether or not that idea will float. I would rather we come up with all the reasons why something will not work before we launch it, before we put it into practice, than putting it out in the marketplace or putting it among our employees and finding out that just because I thought it was a good idea doesn't mean that everyone agrees with me. We don't want to see it fall on its face. John, I want you to talk to me about the power of language a little bit because that's a big part of what you do. Why is it such a force? And also, what was it that really attracted you to that concept? Well, I, uh, I've been a musician my entire life, and I've been a, a teacher of some sort. And, I, you know, I'm, you can't see me. I'm putting up air quotes. I, I started teaching other people how to sell, which led to teaching people how to lead salespeople, which led to teaching executives how to craft more inspirational language. And that whole journey was several years. And I found that I had pursued a, a path of inquiry about how the mind works and where language comes from and how it operates, regardless of what the language is, whether it's a, a romance language or it's a, um, uh, uh, an Asian language, whether it's, it, it, it doesn't matter. There are key components in language that we in our everyday lives don't consider, which means that we don't have the opportunity to leverage. And several years ago, I made the connection. I had this epiphany that language at its core is music. And as a musician, I started making all these connections. Like we talk about, well, it's, it's great to coin a phrase. Well, when you play an instrument, your phrasing identifies your level of proficiency and feel and ability to draw emotion out of the music. Well, language is the same thing. I mean, I remember, you know, the sound of my late father's voice. And I remember the things that he said to us when we were growing up. And I remember how he spoke to my mom. And when I had this epiphany that language at its core is music, I had a, a, a creative explosion, Josh. I mean, I, I, the things that I was writing, the way the, the, the renewed passion in my presentations where I could help people understand the corollary between the, the common thread between architecture, language and music. It, it, I saw just light bulbs going off in audiences. I saw growth among people that I was coaching because if, if language at its core is music, then to me, the next decision, I guess the next conclusion is that language is the great grand symphony of life. So how do we use it? How do we craft it? How do we deliver it in a way that creates more harmony? And, and that, uh, that just, that gets me out of bed early <laughs> daily. So if language is music, then what do we get wrong as musicians? I don't, always like to focus on the negative, but I'm just curious, what are the areas where people don't necessarily use language to its full capacity that we are overlooking or, or maybe not even thinking about? 
Well, I, I think that we, uh, we live in a world where we are constantly told that we need to create balance. And I will tell you that creating life balance is virtually impossible. Because if you think about what balance means, balance is defined as equally weighted on both sides. And I, I'm, I have never been in a relationship. I've never worked on a project. I've never been in a band where it, everyone had the same level of volume, voice, or, or impact. So when you listen to wonderfully crafted music, what you hear is the harmony that comes out of all of those instruments working together. And you ask me, what do, what do I think we miss? What I think we miss is that we're looking to be the dominant voice way too often. When we do not have to be the dominant voice, when we can look to create harmony, people are interested in that. There's something in the base of their skull, in their lizard brain that's saying, there's something here that I'm not accustomed to and I like it and I want more of it. So I think the mistake that we make is well, I want to be as dominant a voice as possible. I'm going to post a lot and I'm going to be strong in my opinions. All that's great, fine, and wonderful. My question is, how adept are you at connecting with people on an authentic human level? And if I can create harmony between us, you and I, in our conversation, that means that my voice does not have to be the dominant one. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And in a symphony, there are times when one instrument may go from harmony to melody back to harmony. How do we find that balance? And also, what does it look like to be someone who is providing the harmony, even if we're not the main focus and speaking and playing the melody? Well, uh, since I'm a language geek, I'm going to pick something out that you said. We do not provide harmony. We contribute to harmony. Mm. I can't provide harmony. I can provide a melody or I can sing in harmony with the main melody line, but I don't provide it. Harmony comes out of collaboration. And in, in my book, Deeper Dialogue, I talk about the, the key CO words in the English language, connect, communicate, collaborate, contribute. When you can create a leadership envir environment where you connect with your people because you communicate, and you create an environment where they feel as though they can collaborate with you, then they're going to make greater contributions. And a leader's role is to draw out the greatest contributions of their folks, not to work them to death, not to squeeze every ounce of blood out of them. It's to draw things out of them. So I think that harmony is drawn out of the, the creative and collaborative process. And by thinking looking at language through the lens of it, it's at its core, it's music, then all of a sudden you have a different view of not only what you hear, but what you hear coming out of your own mouth. Well, John, that gives us a good opportunity to begin talking a little bit more about your new book, Deeper Dialogue, Conversations That Inspire. Could you give us a little bit more of an overview of that book? You just talked about those co-words. Could you tell us a little bit more? Absolutely. I'd, I'd be thrilled to. It was created in a unique way. I've been writing books for almost 17 years. And two books ago, I went through a collaborative creative process with a gentleman who's an inventor and a designer. And I say inventor with full faith and confidence because he actually has patents. So he, he doesn't sit in his garage saying I'm an inventor and coming up with weird things. He's actually invented stuff. And what we did was we went about writing that book in a different way. We 
decided that in, in the same way that podcasts are so fascinating for listeners because it's a dynamic, hopefully interesting conversation between two or more people, we decided to draw on, uh, to write up an outline of what we wanted to communicate. And we went into the recording studio over the course of four months and had very structured conversations about what we were exploring. Well, that opened up a whole new window of creativity for me. And when I arrived at the title, the concept of deeper dialogue, I thought, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to build this framework of what I want to teach people. And I'm going to work with my producer and create an audiobook first. And the, the content is about the power of language, how we can bridge the gap between perception and intent, and how we prepare ourselves for great opportunities. There's a chapter in the book called Every Day. And I have on the back of my business card, and I'd be happy to send a copy of this business card to anyone who responds to me through your uh, podcast here. I have on the back of my business card 10 things that I encourage people to aspire to on a daily basis. And that card has been handed out for about 11 years. People have sent me pictures of it uh, on their computer monitor, on the card dashboard, on the, uh, the bathroom mirror. and. Deeper dialogue is about the fact that when we can truly connect with people, we are going to be invited back or encouraged to come back. And in today's world, depth of relationship is more important than ever. You and I can have a superficial relationship. We can ping each other on social media, or we can sit undistracted, no phones, no laptops, no iPads, no nothing. We can sit face to face and have a an authentic conversation, and that conversation will stay with me. And, and I found in the creation of Deeper Dialogue and, and the, the framework of it that people, all of us, all humans, are looking for those conversations that stay with us. And that's, I mean, that, that's a kind of a component of what I want Deeper Dialogue to be and accomplish. If you could select one, two, or three gems from Deeper Dialogue that you think would be really valuable for listeners as they are looking to have better connection and communication with people, do any things come to mind there? One of the key concepts in the book came out of something that, I, that, that came as part of a, an ongoing kind of stream of consciousness experience. I was speaking for a bunch of financial executives, oddly enough, for Financial Executives International in New York City. And I was talking about the power of language. And I, you know, most of my best ideas come out of my mouth when I'm doing the stream of consciousness stuff. And I said, People respond to the stunning alchemy of solid language. Oh. And I, I saw people's eyes open up because, wow, that, you know, what does that mean? And I wanted to know my own, my, myself. So I, I wrote it down when I was done. The people respond to the stunning alchemy of solid language. Solid language to me, Josh, means that there aren't a bunch of ums or uhs. There is not hesitation. There is a sense of, of quiet, confident, centered energy in my message quiet, confident, centered energy in my message. When we can produce solid language, then we achieve a lot because we don't have to explain deeper. We don't have to revisit it. And we can tell by people's response and reaction that it has resonated. Being a musician, being a drummer first, singer second, guitarist fifth, <laughs> I... I'm fascinated with, and I am driven to pursue resonance. 
When you hear something that speaks to you, you, you may respond with, hmm. <laughs> when you hear something that speaks to you and it speaks to you right this very minute, then you, you not only feel it, you not only make that sound, you reach for a pen to write it down. I think that we, we need to keep our ears and eyes open for pieces of wisdom and insight virtually all the time because we never know where it's going to come from. And when it resonates with us, that means that it's, it, it, it produces that stunning alchemy of solid language. And, and you know, there, uh, Mark Twain or Abraham Lincoln, I'm not sure who, was credited with, uh, after sending a letter to a friend that was three or four pages long, at the end of the letter, he said, forgive the length of the letter. If I had had more time, it would have been much shorter. Mm. So I think that editing and shaping and crafting language is something that we can spend a couple of minutes, a couple of hours thinking about every day. And that will, it'll change the environment that we operate in because how we interact with people and the language that we craft and deliver, guess what? They walk away with that. I was speaking recently at a, a at a conference and I said, I, I asked everyone to raise their hand. How many of us, after a, a, a particularly deep conversation, how many of us think about that conversation for nine minutes to nine hours to nine days afterward? And 80% of the people in the room raised their hand. I said, guess what? So does the other person. We, we think about our interactions and our conversations long after they actually occur because we either want to revisit them or we are hoping that we're going to have the opportunity in some way, shape, or form to reshape them. And unfortunately, we don't. So living in the, in the moment, crafting language that inspires, understanding this stunning alchemy of solid language, that's all stuff that I explore in deeper dialogue. So John, I want to shift to something you said a few minutes ago earlier in our conversation about your book. You mentioned creativity, and I'm wondering how can leaders be more creative in what they do? They can begin fewer sentences with the word I. They can be more focused on asking questions as opposed to assigning tasks. And one of the things that I find that fuels both my creativity and the creativity of everyone I work with is to pursue a reading discipline where you're reading things that have nothing to do with your job, your role, or your industry. Find things that are as far removed from what you do as possible. You know, the good news is there are still bookstores out in the world and there are libraries. So we can roam and we can randomly pull something off the shelf and start reading it. I mean, I, I have people that are, uh, that are running billion dollar organizations and I've had them come back to me and say, I found a magazine on woodworking and I read it cover to cover. And I asked them, so what did you get out of that? Well, the corollaries between the importance of preparation and discipline and and how they go about thinking about a project, I may be able to transfer that to what I do. And that, I mean, this is a person that runs a tech company. So the creativity is available to all of us. I mean, we were all created and <laughs> the, the, the creator, in, I believe, designed us to be creative, meaning come up with a different solution, come up with the second or third right answer, and never step away from being curious. John, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today and sharing with us your experience and your insight. 
Are there any things that you would like to leave the listeners with that we maybe haven't talked about yet or haven't gone as in-depth as we could have? And the answer, I'm sure, is yes. But what would you have to share with the audience as we're coming to an end in today's interview? Everyone that I speak to now, and, and I work with people from millennial to Gen X to Boomer and all that stuff. So this, this is not a generational thing. Everyone that I speak to now talks about how much they treasure those agenda-free conversations that they have with people they work with, with people they work for. We, we drive ourselves, we try to drive others as leaders. And I think that the more we can invest attention in other human beings, the more harmony we will create in our own souls. So uh, I think the thing to leave with your folks is the single greatest gift we can give another person is our undivided attention. Well, John, once again, thank you so much for sharing today. Where can people go to learn more about you and your work if it has resonated with anyone who's been listening today? I appreciate that. You can Google me, of course. I'm one of the few people on the internet that has a last name spelled the way mine is. Our website is, um, I'm very proud to say, is very informational, very helpful. It will take you on a journey based on where you are on your path as a professional, as, as a person. And as I said, I'm, I'm more than happy to offer either a copy of my business card in, in hard copy mail or a free chapter of, of one of my audiobooks if people email me directly and in their subject line, they put the name of your podcast. Well, John, once again, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. Thanks, Josh. If you'd like to follow up with John, I encourage you to find his email address, his website, and other links on our show notes page at lifeasleadership.com slash 048. And as always, you'll find his leadership insights there as well. Now, there are so many things that I would love to highlight from today's interview, but I'm going to limit myself to three as always. The first one is related to when you know you've begun to develop culture in your organization. And this was towards the beginning of the interview, and I want to make sure that this didn't get buried away. It's related to the idea of your churn rate. And John said, when you reach a low churn rate with your team, with your customers, and with your vendors, you've begun to build your culture. And so that means... As you are seeing less and less turnover, less and less volatility, that's probably because people are starting to get a feel for who you are and are starting to mold into that organization, mold into that vision, and mold into that culture. So when you reach a low churn rate, you've begun to develop culture within your organization. The second thing is to keep your ears and eyes open for wisdom and pieces of insight because you never know when or where it will come from. Make sure you're always willing and aware to learn because there are great things to learn out there. So often we don't expect to see something and so we don't. But keep your eyes and ears open for those pieces of wisdom and pieces of insight and make sure you have some way to record those. And the final thing is this, just like you think of good conversations long after they occur, so do other people. And so as we're in a time of reflection, I encourage you, first of all, to think about those conversations that have stuck with you and to reach out to someone and let them know how they've been able to affect your life through that conversation. And very likely, there are going to be people that will respond to you and say, hey, I've thought about that too. Hey, I've reflected on that conversation as well. 
And that's a great way to connect with people, kind of like John was talking about, connecting with people on a human level and letting them know that they have benefited your life. And what you'll probably find is you are benefiting other people's lives as well, and you may have never even realized it. And I know I said I was going to limit myself to just three takeaways, but I have to add this fourth one. This is one of the things that John ended with. He said, the single greatest gift you can give another person is your undivided attention. And so as you're spending time with friends and family as you are ending this year, I encourage you to make sure that you're giving people your undivided attention because that is one of the greatest gifts that you can give another person. Now, I'm looking forward to spending 2020 with you and sharing some great leaders and leadership insights with you. But for now, I encourage you, take these next couple of weeks, spend time with friends and family and give them your undivided attention. And until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.